Matthew chapter 28, this morning will be in the text that's known as the Lord's Great Commission. And the title of the message this morning is Christ's Commission Submission, uh, part two actually. Really the text of our message this morning is found in Matthew 28:18. but I ask that you would read with me in verses 16 through 20 in Matthew chapter 28. And please follow along as I read in the word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thus says the word of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we ask that you speak again through your word. We commit ourselves to, to listen, to hear, and to obey. We will need the Spirit's help in this in every way. We need him to help us. And so, Lord, this morning... Awaken our hearts unto the realities of these truths, the great commission, the compelling promise, the abiding presence of Jesus Christ. Encourage us this morning, for many have undertaken this task to make disciples, and no doubt many of us have felt very weary in the undertaking of this. O Father, let us look with fresh eyes, with the Spirit's eyes and the Spirit's heart, into this passage and recognize all power, in Jesus Christ has been given unto him who commissions us to do this great work. Oh, Father, let us look at this text with, with newness, familiarity of the, the faith of the doctrine that has been delivered, that is a, a consistency with the text, but yet a freshness of spirit, a willingness to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaac Watts, in the song, I Sing the Almighty Power of God, wrote these verses among several. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command and all the stars obey. I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with his word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how your wonders are displayed where'er I turn my eyes. If I survey the ground I tread or gaze upon the skies. There's not a plant or flower below that makes your glories known. And clouds arise and tempests blow by order from your throne. While all that borrows life from you is ever in your care, and everywhere that man can be, you, God, are present there. So beats the heart of Isaac Watts, so greater beats the heart of our Savior Jesus Christ, as he says in verse number 16, all authority, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. All authority to go to all the nations. All authority to communicate all his teaching. 
empowered by his presence all the time, all authority has been given unto Jesus Christ who gives us this great commission. And likely you've heard message after message about this passage. And yet again, here Jesus and the Holy Spirit is calling us to look in this great commission passage. And this morning, our job, our duty is to look at verse number 18 and look at this statement that Jesus makes, all authority. And we're going to be asking three questions of this passage this morning. And we're going to be asking just very three very basic questions, and the first of which is going to be, who gave Jesus this authority, which he has today, and didn't he always have this authority? The second question that we'll be asking is, how much authority does it mean when he says all authority in heaven and on earth? And then thirdly, what does this confidence in Christ's authority, his absolute authority, do as it unleashes those who believe in him? So this morning, let's look at the first question. How much authority is included in all authority in heaven and on earth? Well, this word authority that is used here in the Greek text is, is really the intrinsic freedom. It is a freedom and right to speak and act as one desires, as one chooses. That's a good definition to write down. This is not speaking merely of any type of authority. It is a very distinct word for authority. And it is, again, the idea that one could freely act and speak as he desires, without limitations, without qualification. It is an absoluteness of authority. And so in this passage here, by the way, is a triad of display of sovereign rule. For example, without slighting in any way, in any degree, the wisdom of the inspirer of this sect, the Holy Spirit, the word all is not necessary. It is repeated. All. You see, the word authority already has all in it. But in this, Jesus, in his, in his revealing of his ultimate sovereign rule, is impressing upon you and I by means of repetition He is reinforcing that there is no parallel, there is no equal, and there is no superior, there is no rival to the allness of His power, to the authority of His power. All authority. And then, as if that wasn't enough to qualify the authority to say that it is absolute, it is universal, then we find on the other side of the word uh, that already means absolute and universal, that is the word authority, in heaven and on earth. And so here is, is repeated a, a triple, a quadruple reinforcement of authority. That is to say, there is nothing on heaven, there is nothing in heaven and nothing in earth that has this type of authority. In this sense, there is a quadruple qualification of the, of the statement. In case you miss what the word all means, in case you miss what the word, the inherent limitless freedom to act independently, without limitation or qualification in the word authority, now in heaven and on earth is a quadruple reinforcement of this. Jesus is saying to us who are doubters and to us who see earthly powers demonstrate such powerful rule, He is saying, I am so far infinitely excelling, superior, supreme over all earthly authorities even when they touch your body, even when they affect the joy of your soul, even when they press against your, uh, your freedoms and your rights, there is one who rules infinitely 
sovereignly so far apart from earthly authorities that He has all authority. He has absolute power and universal control over everything in heaven and on earth, even those who believe they are not underneath His control. And that's where we come up against in verse number 19. Jesus says, go therefore. We had talked a little bit about the word therefore last Sunday, and we had talked about go. But go therefore. Therefore is saying with the understanding, with the conviction, with the impetus, with the propulsion that I am the one with ultimate authority. As you go and make disciples and go into all nations, teaching them and baptizing them and teaching them all things, go with the conviction, with the belief that I have all authority. And we're therefore could also, by the way, form an ark for us in our study of the book of Matthew. And I invite you now, especially if you have the written copy of the Word of God, to join with me in Matthew 1, but also in your electronic devices, in Matthew 1, and we're going to walk through the book of Matthew here in just a very summary way and look at the power that Jesus Christ has displayed to His disciples in every chapter in the book of Matthew. So the word therefore applies certainly to Jesus' own statement that I have all power, but He's also saying... Have you not walked with me long enough to see that I have all power? So let's look as students of the Word at every chapter in the book of Matthew in a summary way. Chapter 1. Jesus has more power than King David and all the kings of Israel. In chapter number 2. Jesus has more power than anyone who has ever been born of man. Chapter number 3. Jesus has more power than anyone who has ever been baptized. Number 4. Chapter 4. Jesus has more power than the devil himself. Chapter 5. Through chapter 8. Jesus has more power than all the kings and kingdoms on this entire planet. Chapter number 9. Jesus has more, more power than paralysis, than death itself, than blindness, and even the law. Chapter 10. Jesus has more power than those who can kill the body. Chapter 11. Jesus has more power than the greatest of prophets the world has ever heard. Chapter 12. Jesus has more power than the loyalty of blood relatives. Chapter number 13, Jesus has more power than everything and everyone who opposes the kingdom. Chapter 14, Jesus has more power than kings and famine and nature and storms and the laws of physics that rule this universe without bias. As if we needed any more, Matthew faithfully records more power of Jesus and authority in chapter 15, more power than the law that binds the conscience or the sin that condemns it. 
In chapter 16, Jesus has more power than the prophets of hell, the lost gates of death and hell. In Matthew chapter 17, we recognize that Jesus has more power than the great prophets of old, Moses and Elijah, who wrought great miracles by the power of God. He has more power than a demon and legions of demons, henchmen of the evil one. Jesus has more power than all the wealth that the world can buy and all the economies of time, past, and present, and future kingdoms. And that was all in Matthew 17. In Matthew 18, we discover that Jesus has more power than the penalty of sins that scatter, abandon, and condemn a person's soul. In Matthew 19, we discover that Jesus has more authority than great teachers with silver tongues that lead people down the broad way to destruction. In Matthew chapter 20, more authority than those who act vengeance and those who dole out mercy. In Matthew 21, we discover that Jesus has more authority than any king who rode a stallion into a victory parade. In Matthew 22, we discover that Jesus has more authority than all of heaven and earth who would dare to believe that the right hand of the throne of God was for them. In Matthew 23, we discover that Jesus has more power than those who are censor, than those who will censor the sound of the gospel. Praise be to his name. Jesus has more power than those who will censor the gospel. In Matthew 24, we discover that Jesus has more power than the convergence of every demonic principality and confederation of wicked earthly kingdoms hell-bent on preventing the ultimate arrival of his kingdom. In Matthew 25, we discover that Jesus has more authority than the judges of every nation. In Matthew 26, we learn that he has more power of his own life and death than anyone who would ever take it from him. In Matthew 27, we learn that he has more power over leaders, whether they be government or religious, and more power than the whips, the thorns, the nails, and the determinative end of crucifixion. And in Matthew 28, beginning at the very top of the chapter, we learn that Jesus has more power over angels and death and leaders and downing disciples and even over unbelief. So you say, how much power did Jesus have in all heaven and all earth? He has all power. There isn't a realm in which he does not exercise sovereign rule. And I'm sorry, I skipped over the first question. So let's go back to that slide. Who gave Jesus this authority? Notice that he says in verse number 19, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Who gave Jesus this? We know that Jesus didn't come to develop or collect power. We know that Jesus didn't come to candidate. Jesus says all authority was given him by the Father. In John 5.22, Jesus says that power, authority has been given all judgment to the Son. In Acts 2.36, the Apostle Peter says, made him Lord and Christ that is our God. But here's several passages that help us understand how this, how this power was given to, to the Son. Matthew 11:27 says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, 
And no one knows the Son except the Father. In John 3.35, Jesus says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. In John 13.3, John says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, knelt down and washed the apostles' feet. In Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, we learn that God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above all every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And so we asked if this power was given to Jesus Christ, how do we understand this? Did he not have power in eternity past? The word given seems to be a determinative Time, it was finally given to Jesus, is the idea that seems to come across as Jesus says to the disciples, it is given to me. Perhaps we ask, did he not have it at one time? I'd like to offer one, one commentator's explanation of this. And it reads like this, in the beginning was the word, according to John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made and him was life and the life was the light of men. And so this preacher says this, Jesus was, always has been, always will be God. He is with his father, the creator of the universe. He did not become authoritative at his incarnation or his exaltation. But he says, here's the distinction. Before the incarnation, that is, before Jesus became the God-man, God the Son existed. We call this the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. But Jesus, the God-man, did not yet exist. The God-man did not yet exist. Before the incarnation, God the Son existed with all authority. But the God-man, Jesus Christ, had not yet died for sinners. The sentence of condemnation still hung over his people and had not yet been stripped from Satan's hand by the shedding of Jesus' blood. But it is precisely, he says, the God-man Jesus Christ and the crucified risen Savior triumphant over sin and Satan and exalted to the right hand of God and installed as the Lord of the universe. So the Son of God always has had total authority in heaven and on earth. But when he had done the great work of redemption once for all, God exalted him as the God-man, not just merely as the second person of the Trinity, but now as the incarnate second person of the Trinity, receiving yet the assurance or the duplication or the reiteration, this one I still convey all authority unto. He has continued to please me. He has continued to do the work of creation that we had committed to do from the very beginning. My blessing upon him, my pleasure upon him, and even his title has not changed one bit because he was lowered, lower than angels, according to Hebrews chapter 1. And so in double assurance, if you would like to, re- if you would like to think of it that way, the God-man is exalted. Jesus is saying, in no way was my authority ever diminished in becoming lower than angels as a human being on this earth. And so this commentator continues, God exalted him as the God-man, the Redeemer, the Risen One to his right hand, and now as never before put the rule of the universe and the mission of the church into the hands of a man, Jesus of Nazareth, Son of Mary, Son of God. 
And it is exactly this. In verse number um, in verse number 17, where Jesus is hitting on this, this part of belief that was difficult for the early disciples, and I think at times difficult for us in the doubting. That is, that I know God superior, I know God in spirit, I know God on the throne rules. But does Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, rule? Does He demonstrate great power knowing, yes, we know theologically He's a lot, He's superior, He's supreme. But knowing that He's like us, does He still rule? Knowing that He subjected Himself unto the temptations and the weakness of flesh, subjected Himself unto death itself, does He retain authority and power knowing the lengths to which He went to become like Adam? And this was what was in the hearts of the doubting disciples in verse number 17. They worshipped Him and some doubted. Why did they doubt? Because they had walked with Him and seen Him. And they wondered, could God, veiled in flesh, retain sovereign rule? Knowing that He had gone to the cross the way He did. Some would doubt. And there are many reasons why disciples doubt. We explored some of them last week. But Jesus, on the heels of this, and Matthew, inspired by the, by the Spirit of God, on the heels of this, of this doubt, the next word he uses, and Jesus came and said to them, all power, all authority. At the root of our doubting, and listen, at the root of our not making disciples is the severe question is God powerful enough to change other people's lives through someone like me the question is not in this passage that Jesus is addressing primarily. His primary answer to the question, this question isn't, is Jesus powerful enough to change lives? The question that Jesus is answering and the promise that he is projecting is, is I am powerful enough to change lives as you are going and telling about me? And I believe that one of the chief reasons why we are not very obedient in making disciples is because we doubt, we don't doubt God's universal power and authority, but we doubt that he can use people like us. And Jesus comes on the heels of the doubting disciples and says, I use doubting disciples, weak disciples, betraying disciples, Disciples that hide in the upper room instead of waiting for an empty tomb. I use people like Peter who do great things in one minute and sink to the bottom of the sea in the next. 
I use people who say, unless God, then I, like Thomas. I use people like Matthew, who were scoundrels and still were calculating, is it worth it to follow Jesus Christ? And this is where the chief part of our disobedience and our lack of willingness to submit to the Great Commission lies. It is, I believe, not primarily in, is God powerful enough? It's the question of, will God really use people like me? And so that brings us to our third point. So if this authority is supposed to produce confidence, if this commission is supposed to change me, what does it do to me? And the word that I'd like to use is that it unleashes in our lives some spectacular things. The confidence in Christ's absolute authority unleashes in the lives of those who really believe this through the word therefore. Since Jesus has demonstrated such absolute authority and power and we have seen 27 chapters, 28 chapters of his absolute rule, I mean, is there any realm that you can think of that isn't covered in the 28 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew? Is there any part of life? Is there any part of death? Is there any part of Satan? Is there any part of heaven? Is there anything anywhere in this universe, whether ideological, moral, or physical and material, that you do not see Jesus exercise demonstrative superior power to all through the book of Matthew? And so since Jesus has demonstrated and since Matthew has been faithful to record for us, then what ought to be unleashed in us is that we ought to, in the going and teaching about Jesus Christ, know this, that as we go and we tell people about Jesus Christ, disciples will be born. If this power is behind us, if this power is commissioning us, then disciples will be born. People will not remain the same. But also we recognize that in the going and the teaching of this Jesus, the risen Lord, disciples will not only be made, but they will, be, they will grow. They will mature. They will develop. They will they'll become rooted in the Scriptures just like you and I have been becoming, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think so often in our unbelief of what God can do to a soul, we, we think as parents might think. Soon a dear couple in our church is about ready to have a child. We're so thankful and praying for, for them as they anticipate the great blessings of God. But I imagine and I, I know, I remember what it's like to have this baby and to wonder what is this child going to become like? And some of the impossibility of knowing that as someday... I will have had to parent my child to that stage and I'm not feeling very equipped with a baby in my arms to parent a teenager or a 22-year-old or whatever. So often I believe that in our sharing of the gospel and our unwillingness to share the gospel, we come to think that, but if I share the gospel with this person, I don't see a mature believer happening in them. I don't see the end result. I don't see them growing. And so we don't even share the gospel with them to be born. 
I mean, are you tracking with, are you understanding this? We think, I could never see this person really becoming like the image of Christ. And we become discouraged about that. But God says, listen, that's not your work. That's not your work. It never was. It never was. I just ask for you to share share the gospel. I will. I will make them born again, and I will grow in them the image of Jesus Christ. But don't mistake the end from the beginning. And so often we become discouraged as we look at someone's life and say, "I don't know how God will ever unpack the sinfulness and the enslavement of of lostness in their life." So we never utter a word. But this power, it not only takes us in the going and the teaching and makes disciples birthing them into the kingdom and growing in them a maturity in Jesus Christ, but also in the going and teaching, the authority of Jesus Christ compels us to, in the growing and teaching that the disciples will be diverse. They won't look like you. They will be disciples made of all nations. They will be very different than you. They'll be made of all nations. And so this this absolute, this universal authority is powerful because it isn't just going to be people like you that are born again, and yet all of them will be very much like you more than we realize. But it will be it will be all nations, it will be spread out, it will it will be viral if you want to think of it that way in a good way. But also in the going and the teaching under the authority of Jesus Christ. We recognize that nothing will prevent the Lord's powerful presence. And he indicates this in verse number 20, towards the end. I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this absolute power and authority does not diminish. It doesn't fade. It's never faded. From the time it was recorded here and even before then, of course, in Matthew 28, not one shade, not one degree, not one proportion of any of Jesus' saving power, redemption work, has diminished in any bit. Nor has it, by the way, increased. It is full. It is infinitely powerful. God is sovereignly transformational in every part of His salvation decrees. Everything we are up to in this world fades and everything diminishes like a battery loses power. But none of that, none of the saving power of Jesus Christ inherent in His authority, in all authority, in heaven and on earth has diminished in one way. The Gospel still has the same power it had when Jesus rose from the grave. And so in the going and in the teaching, nothing can prevent the Lord's powerful transformation of his life, of a person's life. But you see, when we look at this commission, we recognize this this, this command to go and make disciples of all nations, it's impossible to fulfill without the sovereign command and sourcing of the commission of Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus is saying, I know that you're not up to the task. I know that you're not perfect disciples. I know that the nations will not want to hear you. And many will not give you access. I know that there will be confusion and the evil one will will seek to thwart the advance of the gospel. But Jesus says that you as a disciple of his, you as a disciple of the King Most High, you have the authority of the Sovereign Lord to go anywhere 
and everywhere to tell people about Him. You don't have to ask permission. You have sovereign authority to go everywhere and to tell tell everybody who Jesus is. And it's important for us to see that Jesus is calling some to do something beyond our competency. He's calling us to make disciples. So he's calling us to tell people to trust in him, right? He's calling us to tell people to turn away from their own devices, to turn away from their own sin, to turn away from, from everything they've depended upon and trust in him. And he's calling us to tell people to trust in Jesus. So what will it take for us to tell people to trust in Jesus? It will take trusting disciples. The Lord will use the path of other people's salvation to to grind in, to carve in to us a greater heart of trust ourselves. It will take us trusting in His authority, in His power to make the disciples. So, So he changes us while he wants to change them. He wants to change us while he's changing them. And we might say something like, I I can't make disciples. When we look at this passage and Jesus says, right, but I want you to make disciples. So we say, really, still, I don't know if you're listening to me, Lord, but I, I don't know if you know who I am. But I just can't make disciples. And Jesus says, right. And Jesus says, I'm asking you to go and do what you can't do. So that you'll depend upon me to do what I can do and I will do. Jesus isn't calling us to just get people to say a sinner's prayer or to fill out a card or to, um, to respond to some questions in a right way or even to get people to join a church. Jesus is calling us to share what he has taught to us. To share what we have experienced in Him. To share what truly has been in His Word of who He is. And so we're called to see that the nations hear about Him. And knowing that we can't change the heart or produce the results we're aiming for. We're going to have to trust in Him. We need to be faithful in telling the truth. And we need to be faithful to go into all the people and share the Gospel. But we... We are called unto the reality that it is Him who must work through us and in us to do of His good pleasure. We are going to have to trust in Him while we tell others to trust in Him. It's not going to be easy. It's not, like I said, going to be filling out a piece of paper and, or, or doing something simple. It's going to be difficult because what it means is surrendering every part of our stubbornness and will. It's going to have to be relying upon Him in every part of the approach to the nations. Jesus is in charge. Jesus is in charge. Write it on your mirror. Put a sticky note on your dashboard. Jesus is in charge. 
Jesus' ultimate authority and power over the mission of the church. And this truth emboldens us in all hope and fills our prayer with powerful meaningless. And so there's two truths that we come away with this morning. Number one, we are filled with all hope and promise, knowing that in the sharing of the good news that God does what seems impossible. And there isn't a person or a force that can stand in God's way when he transforms the hardest of hearts. No one is outside of the reach of God's sovereignly powerful grace. And so we put our efforts and we put our will, we surrender ourselves unto this hope. We are filled with meaningful prayerfulness because God is sending us to do what he said he will do through us. In Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul said this, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The last thing that we learn from this this morning is this. This commission is the call for every one of us. Everyone who is a child of God in this room has been given this great commission. For some, it is to go to nations far away. And this commission means that the power of God will grip your heart and upon hearing the word of God here in this passage, you'll be called to go far away. And I don't know if you've ever considered doing this, what, no matter what age you're in, in obeying the voice and the call of God in your life. But you must hear this call from the scriptures. God calls, he does call some disciples to go to nations. And you ought to seriously, and every one of us ought to seriously consider that call. Is that what God has asked for me to do? And to humble ourselves and to prayerfully submit ourselves to to that possibility that God would call us to go to the nations. And this commission means that there is a power that grips your heart. This is the word of God. And so there may be some who are here today who hear God is calling them to go to to the nations and make disciples. And particularly, often we think of young people in this with so much in store. And God's word this morning for you, whether young or old, is that the nations need to hear. And God uses people like you to tell them. But the other response to this is that others ought to be gripped by the power and conviction of this message to do nothing else than to stay and while going in this nation, while going in this nation, make disciples. It's so profound and simple to think, but we are in a nation. Make disciples of this nation. And make disciples, whether this nation or far beyond. But the third subtruth, which is a very powerful truth, one that we believe inherent within the very nature of the living word and the word of God itself is this, that the commission itself, the commission itself, as the power of God's word, has power of itself. 
This morning in the heart of every believer, every child of God, ought to be a pulsating and a pounding that this truth is true. And this morning, a renewing of spirit, a a repentance of heart, if we have been off track, that we had not been about the Great Commission, because God's Word, even here, has the power to convict us and to call us. And so often we go to the call and say, I don't know whether I've been called, but in this passage here, inherent in the power of the Word of God is this, that God desires to speak to every heart this morning through the commission saying, while you're going, make disciples. Jesus is in charge. And He has ultimate authority and power over the mission of the church and over every one of our lives. Let's pray.